everybody, and welcome to episode six of Coffee with Tony. And my guest today is my good friend and political analyst, commentator, author, speaker, everything under the sun. It's Zerlina Maxwell. You've seen her on CNN, MSNBC. She's a regular commentator on on MSNBC. And she's also the co-host, along with Jess McIntosh, of Signal Boost on Sirius XM, of which I've been a guest of a number of times. Uh, She's also the author of the book, The End of White Politics, How to Heal Our Liberal Divide. And that's available for pre-order now and on any of your book websites, including your local bookstore, which I encourage you to order from and maybe order from a black owned bookstore would be the way to go. Uh, And it should be coming out July 7th. We talked about everything from Black Lives Matter to uh, what season of Dexter was the best. Um, We talked about the 2016 and 2020 elections, Biden, Bernie, Hillary, uh, a million things. And also we discussed our escape plans from the United States. She's got some sort of rubber raft. I have a paper map and a compass. I think together uh, we might not make it. (laughs) Um, We had three false goodbyes. I left them all in because we were just having such a wide ranging conversation. I decided to just leave it in. Um, so I hope that you guys will enjoy this and, um, because I'm not going to do any commercials or anything, uh, cause th- this is a longer one. Just please support my Patreon, patreon.com backslash the real Tony. It keeps the podcast going. Also, I do put exclusive stuff up there, photographs, writings, audio, live shows, and, uh, I'd love for you to support it. So why don't we listen to Zelina and I talk. Um, but my first question just is in terms of quarantine, by the way, I do notice, and this is a visual, I do love that you have not preloaded the bookcase with books. Well, no, I downstairs in my like TV spot, I have the like books, (laughs) the books displayed out. I've seen your, when you were on MSNBC, I love the flanking. It's very Kubrick. You're flanking. well, I was like, look, I took this online marketing class, speaking of like online tutorials, and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to put this book behind me. Everybody else putting other people's books, put my own book. Yeah, absolutely. I'm terrible at if, it. Even if they forget to say the title of the book in the intro, which they have. Of course. I still am getting, you know, it makes the TV segment worth doing. Cause... Is it amazing when you work on, like, because you work on that. You work on MSNBC now. Yeah. Is it amazing when you still like you appear on the channel you work for and so like a producer like forgets to and you're like, well, what's happening here, guys? No, I'm like, I well, often I think about, you know, the fact that I I work there and I have, you know, all of these colleagues who have also written books and yet still you feel like you don't know what you're doing. Oh, and, the, yeah. and and no one really can can help, you know. People, other people are like, I don't know. I just sort of, you know, I was winging it when I did it too. So I think, you know, I wish there was more of a guidebook. Yeah, I mean, there's speaking of TV. So I just, yeah, you know, I, I chose to put the books length behind me because, you know, that felt one. It felt relevant. The book feels relevant, so it it felt like it's promotional for the book, but also the ideas. 
Yes, and it is called The End of White Politics, How to Heal Our Liberal Divide <laughs> uh, by Zerlina Maxwell. Yeah, I would argue it's about as apropos as it gets right now with, so, with especially with the notion that there are people who look fondly back on when we were just dealing with a deadly pandemic. The sort of irony... <laughs> That and in in the and I had this thought going to sleep last night actually, when I'm thinking about that statement, uh, and how the revelation, and I think this will connect to something we talked about in New Hampshire, which is the revelation of the myriad of blocks and lack of understanding of white people of every stripe. Not right. just people toting guns at the Michigan right. Capitol, not just the ugly th stuff that's so easy to categorize, right? It's easy right. to see and go, this is awful or hateful or murderous right. or terrible. And of course, they are all those things. Uh, but for instance, people who who look upon what's happening now as some crisis, right? And you hear right. that from white commentators, right? Crisis. What's happening? America's coming apart. Whereas I think I look at it as this is the blossoming. This is like the right. flowering of something. This is the flowers after Hiroshima. Right. right? Well, one of the things I, I mean, it's funny that you bring up New Hampshire because that was so, that was this year, which is oh God, so right. crazy <laughs> yeah. to think about that. That was like just a couple of months ago. Um, but I think that, you know, to your point about the awakening that we're having and, and really I think what makes this moment different in terms of Black Lives Matter finally having a majority of Americans supporting it, right? That's a, that's a moment. You know, people really understanding that the systems that we've all sort of lived with um, treat people differently. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's not right, but that there's a pathway to change it. Like that's the epiphany that people have had in this moment. I don't know if it's because they've had more time to think about it mm -hmm. because they're inside, they can't go out. Mm -hmm. You know, they have less, they're not running around. I mean, I think one of the epiphanies I've had personally is that I spent four and a half hours a day commuting mm -hmm. uh, to my various jobs, which I now do from my house. And so, you know, when you, when you're not spending four hours a day, commuting you have four hours more in your day yes. um and and so i think a lot of people that gives a lot of people particularly those families who are quarantined intergenerationally i think it allows for younger uh college age kids 20 year olds that you know or even in my case 38 year olds that quarantine back home because a one-bedroom apartment in quarantine alone just doesn't seem safe. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would have been particularly safe in the middle of Brooklyn. No. Given given, you know, uh the numbers we've seen. Yeah. So I I think that people I think it was Maya Wiley was the first commentator I heard say, you know, the the white supremacy and racism that creates the pandemic of police killing black people mm -hmm. was that that was already a pandemic. Yes. And so, you know, we we think about it like a pandemic within another pandemic, right? Right. And and I thought that that was really apropos because the 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 breakdown of the systems was all exposed for everyone to see as soon as we went inside. Like everything is broken. Yep. And I I you know, 
Jess and I have great discussions on the show, you know, just a processing that, like the fact that people have been given time to think about like where we messed up <laughs> and we, there are plenty of places. Mm-hmm. And then particularly it's fascinating to me that, you know, a couple weeks ago, people were protesting to get haircuts. Um, <laughs> and then you, you of course have the catalyst of the eruption and, and public, I think movement against Trump, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the reemergence of the resistance going back outside. Mm-hmm. And I think that that um, it's fascinating to me because I'm like, people were like, I just want to get out of the house. Yes. You know, um, I need to get out of here. All right. So the only activity is protesting. And that's in what I'm doing. Black, black people's rights. Let's go. Like, like, all right, fine, fine. What Black lives matter. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, 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 and in some ways, you know, I, 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 I sort of the first couple of weeks of protesting, not that I was like, you know, uh, making light of it. But I but I was I was like, this is so fascinating to me. Because like, what is so different in this moment? I mean, police have been killing black people like every five minutes mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. um, which is why black people they are consistently out in the streets. Yes. But 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 seeing white people be like, all right, we're going. All right, those only activity is grocery store and black people. All right, let's do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so and and then and then they they don't even have anywhere to go. They can't be like, oh, I gotta leave early from the protest. They don't have anywhere to go. Like they can't. No, you have so, to stay for the whole thing. Yeah, you have to stay for the whole protest. Um, <laughs> I I I, I face that down. It's 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 really quite poetic, you know. Yes. It, the, the only way we were going to get true investment into, you know, the the majority white support for Black Lives Matter was when there were no other options for things yeah. that you could care about, I suppose. There's nowhere to um, run. There's nowhere to go. You can't yeah. go anywhere. Now we have your full attention. And I think that 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 is in part why I think the book is present in this moment is because, of course, this is happening now. Mm-hmm. Because what I was trying to establish as a matter of a fact in the book is that America is going to be minority white Mm -hmm. very soon. Mm -hmm. And that at some point, all of this was going to collide. The demographics, um, the the numbers that black and brown people have to assert their rights to, to run and become people who are in positions of power and authority over white people. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think America is, currently going through a moment that could be the end of a thing, right? It could right. be the end of white supremacy. And when I say white politics, you know, Jess says, I quote her in the book, basically saying that like, we've been doing white identity politics, right? We, we were like, oh, we don't want to do identity politics post 2016. That's why Hillary lost because she was talking about Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Um, you know, and we didn't realize that we were doing identity politics. It's just that we left off the word white. Mm-hmm. So we were doing identity politics the whole time. Yes. With only centering white people's interests and concerns. We just called it politics. Mm-hmm. And and so Jess, you know, really sort of puts in perfect in a perfect sort of quote what I think is the need for a shift. 
the need for a recentering and sort of like an expansion of even the spectrum of like who we talk about and yeah. what we think about. And I think that any resistance to that is sort of revealing about the person who has the objection. Yes. Yes. It, well, you know, it. so I understand this and in, that's in, in on Signal Boost with Jess McIntosh. Yes. Which is how we met at an Oscar yes. party a few years yeah. ago. And I yeah, was yeah. like starstruck when I met you. And uh, it's true. And and <laughs> and well, because you're a great mind and and uh, both of you are great minds. And but yes. but I knew Jess. So uh, <laughs> once you get used That's to funny. a great mind, you need to meet a new one. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but what's interesting to me and in what you're saying and how I process what you're saying is from a perspective of being a teacher at the much maligned right now Upright Citizens Brigade, which is going through its own sort of death and micro sort of experience as a teacher in an institution, a lot of these things were percolating and happening at, at a predominantly white institution right. improvisation, which is a predominantly initially white dalliance of upper, you know, middle-class liberal college students. Right. I mean, you went to Tufts. Right. I went to Emerson. We all yeah, know yeah. about white dalliances. Oh, we do. And, and I, I really know. And because I'm white, uh, <laughs> that um, the the thing I noticed in teaching is exactly this, which is to to dis to strip away to say we want to get away from identity politics is just to me a complex version of the sort of maybe boomer concept of I don't see color, right? Sort right. of the same idea. And the thing I would do or learn to do, I think, in teaching was to actually walk in the room and go, I don't I not only do I see color, I see everything and mm -hmm. I see all the different yeah. elements in this room. And I understand that one, I understand where I'm coming from and I'm not going to be able to speak to everything that's going on here. So I got to let other students speak and students take the moment in a controlled way in a classroom because you have to, or else, you know, people can also run with things, especially if they're 20. Um, <laughs> And, but more importantly is that you're dealing with everyone's identity and the intersections right. of those identities. And, um, and to, to look at the idea that in, in what you spoke to about, I was talking with Howard Feynman about this the other day on the phone, which is that, yeah, everybody has had three months to sit back and go, wait a minute, this is a raw deal, right? Right. And so then there's this sort of general raw deal that everyone's experiencing, sort of looking back going, why was I busting my hump for 60, 70 hours a week to do what? Why? Right. Right? Everything seems to keep running, you know? And this sort of intersects with, you might agree or not agree with it, but one of my guests, Stephanie Kelton, saying, hey, we did have the money to sort of right. put it where we want to. It was a lie right. that we couldn't pull from here and put into here. So you start to see these factors, but I want to actually connect it in a way also to something you're talking about with 2016 and getting into that and getting into 2020 is that I think what's interesting is that the far left, what I would call the progressive left, which is unfortunate because I feel like progressive has been co-opted twice yes. in ways that I feel are disturbing. And I think that what you see in the, the the failure of messaging in 2016 and in 2020 of the Sanders campaign was the refusal to really acknowledge race in the economic dynamic. And you see it right. to this day. And I see it in my sort of so this podcast is based on my 
little Twitter show that I do. I'm moving to Twitch, by the way, everybody, so I can make some profit. Um, that uh, Coffee with Tony, where I, you know, we talk about whatever and the chat sort of pipes in. And I have people who listen from every political stripe. But what I notice is that even in this movement, and I compare it to an improv scene, Black Lives Matter has the good scene going on right now. They've got a right. great scene. And it's, for lack of better, you know, it's not funny, but like it's, in improv terms, it's funny, it's interesting, it's engaging. Everyone gets right. the game and everyone's on board with it, right? The worst thing that can happen in improv is that everyone goes, oh, someone has a good thing. Let me jump on it and drown it and like, right. dis or dilute it. Or uh, maybe that wasn't a good word. Uh, it And have... Um, uh, my agenda now come in and supplant this agenda. And in some right. ways I, from hearing some of the Chaz stuff in Seattle and hearing how black lives matter is like totally drowned out by what seems to be another excuse for white boys to get aggressive. And, uh, yeah. and, 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 and it, we can get into the other thing. Cause I tend to talk a lot. So I'm trying to reduce that. <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah, like, That's why we have the jobs we have. I know. Right. But then I listen <laughs> back to my podcast. And I'm like, I, I talked for like 15 minutes um, that, I, but I just to put out that it, why is it? I guess I'm saying why, but I think I know it's like, why can't we allow the organized movement that's had years to build? That's getting right. its moment. Why? Why are we not stepping back and just supporting that? Why is there this desire to, and not to reflect on it, and that's the thing I would talk about to my audience, right? Which isn't even really my audience. I think it's more James's audience. I think I'd be too centrist for my own audience. That, okay. uh, that why are we, in, in my view, it's more, I think it's radical actually to go step aside and, and let, let right. this group lead. They've got it. And do you fear or do is there concern that I think not only the protest movement, but I do think in some ways news, you know, for-profit news looks mm -hmm. for the angle that is the most interesting. Right. It tends to be a white angle, right? right? It's like you, It's like any exit out of the room. And are you concerned about distractions uh, as we move into the summer months? And and the diluting yeah. of this of this process. I always worry about that. I do think you know one of the things that happens, and the reason why this happens is not a coincidence. Mm -hmm. You know, the reason why this happens is because of every single industry, news, politics, media, um, uh, business. They all are led by the same type of person. Yeah, I mean, every every the person making the decision about what to cover and how to cover it, you know, they come from you know a family um, who knows this other family who you know like it's all mm -hmm. it, it it is a boys' club. Yeah, and I do feel like that also needs to be shaken up a bit too. And I think I you know, and I think to your point about sort of the idea that I, you know, embr the embrace of identity politics and basically me saying, no, identity politics is the, is the future. Mm -hmm. The identity politics that I, I think about is the identity politics as defined by Stacey Abrams, which is, I see you. Yeah. Right. Which is the exact opposite of, I don't see color. It's, I see your color. I see your identity. I see, I see your sexual orientation. 
And I see how those parts of your identity intersect and then lead to better or worse outcomes in the world yes. based on how policy impacts your life. And right. I actually know what that's like because, you know, part that I have one part of that identity and I can, I can empathize with that. And then I'm motivated to make change. Mm -hmm. And I think that part of what annoys me sometimes is, you know, the idea that white men can understand everyone else's experience. Like everything is run off of the idea that, that we just sort of accept as the default position that cisgendered white men can understand the experiences of everyone else, almost mm -hmm. like they're up here looking down and observing and then can, mm -hmm. you know, be unbiased and yes, objective yes. Uh, in, in telling us the stories about experiences that they know nothing about. Well, it's like a Mount Olympus, like a deifying. It's it's yeah. taking a deity position, right? Yeah, you know, and 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 that's fundamentally not just because I think politics and policy and news all have the commonality that it is about storytelling. Yes, and and so I think you know, obviously, people see that connection when it comes to Hollywood, but mm -hmm. I think storytelling is a big part of other aspects of our lives too. And you have, and you really have to be able to to understand the story you're telling and yes. i think fundamentally as progressives on the left you know i'm very critical of bernie sanders but i'm also very critical of joe biden because neither yes. one of them fully has internalized our stories oh, yeah. and are motivated you know in a really fundamental way to fight on behalf of black people right. because they are being treated mistreated because they are black not because you know, Wall Street is out of control because I agree with that. Not because health insurance companies are out of control because I agree with that. Not because fossil fuel companies have too much power. I agree with all of those things, but I'm also being treated differently on a day-to-day -day basis because I'm black, because I'm a woman. Um, and that is something that is not wrapped up in class. Yes. Because black people are mistreated at all class levels. Yes. And so are women. Yeah. And, and, and pick another marginalized identity. Um, South and Asian. I just, yeah, I mean, it's just like, oh, no. I, I mean, they're, they're, no. <laughs> sorry, funny. sorry. Go on. Sorry. You know what I'm saying? Yes. No, it's I like, do. it's like, you know, it, obviously it's, it's a lie on its face that class will allow you um, the ability to not be mistreated for, for another part of your marginalized identity. Right. And the whole it, point is that I want the the pieces of my identity that are mistreated to not be marginalized. Right. Even in your conversation about Wall Street. Yes. Yes. And it's interesting because in that sense of like talking about economic identity and I see this on Twitter a lot. We can get into the whole thing, especially since you worked in sort of digital with with Clinton in 2016 and sort of looking at how is it that a platform that represents 6% of the population is driving stories. And yeah. it seems to be only getting more accelerated in right. the last uh, year and, and probably in the pandemic even more because everyone's home. Um, but to, to acknowledge uh, what you're saying is that I think there's a couple of things that uh, I hear, and of course I hear from my wife, who's uh, you know a mixed race, and mm -hmm. um, and you know I get these moments where I think I've figured it out. These moments where I'm like, I've got it, and I'm gonna say it, and then Flossie will be like, "You're coming from a cis privileged perspective," and I will, you know, I have moments where I bristle, I get pissed, yeah, yeah. and I go, "God, you know," because 
inside you, you go, well, I don't want to be seen as a terrible person or whatever. And she's like, it's not about that. It's right. not, I'm not saying you're a terrible person. I'm just saying you need to pay attention to this thing that you don't know. Right. And that's, I think the, I think about that in the sense that I think I'm a generally pretty hyper aware person and I fall prey to programming that's so deeply put in me. So oh, yeah. ingrained into me from being raised. And it, you could talk race or you talk manhood and just what your understanding is just from watching movies, what your understanding is of being with women. I mean, you know, before I wrote this book, my other area of expertise and, and concern was ending rape culture. And so, you know, obviously we know, we know, um, but people should know who are listening that um, patriarchy is just as big a problem as white supremacy, y'all. Mm -hmm. And it works together with capitalism to oppress people. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, you know, part of, part of why it's important to understand that, um, you know, even if you're hyper aware, even if you're, you know, how to identify the problematic things, you know, in something you're watching or seeing, mm -hmm. that those things are still being made. They're still going to continue to be made. Mm -hmm. But at least now I do feel good about the democratization of the response mechanisms, right? So, yes. you know, I think seeing band-aids be like, oh, right. <laughs> we're going to make band-aids for black people now, even though, and, yeah. and, and, you know, like people sort of laugh at that, but yeah. honestly, that's like part of the conditioning when you're young, right? That I couldn't go to the drugstore and get a band-aid that matches my skin. I couldn't go to the drugstore and get hair products that work for my hair until very recently. I couldn't get, yeah. I couldn't get makeup that, you know, matches my skin color. And so when you're seven and there's nobody in a magazine that looks like you, there's nobody on, you know, on television who looks like you or has hair like yours is that grows naturally out of your scalp. Um, you know, that has a, an impact that you internalize um, at a young age, you realize it, but also yes. that you also have the bias. So like, even if you're like the best person in the world, you know, I have my own biases that I have to work on because sure. we all do like marginalized people have them too. Yeah. You know, yeah. one, of, one of the, one of the most interesting conversations that's born out of the black lives matter movement in this moment um, is the conversation happening in the Latinx community mm. about racism inside of a Latin Latinx community. And I'm oh. like, yes, I am glad Cardi B was talking about it yesterday in Spanish. And I don't even That's understand great. all of it, but I knew what she was saying. Like I knew I picked up some of the words. So I was like, I knew what she was saying. And she yeah. was like, stop yes. it. You know what I mean? So it's interesting. It's I got to say two things. One, when you said Band-Aids, yeah. I actually thought you meant um, movies that are, um, I didn't realize you were speaking about literal Band-Aids. I, I thought you were talking about Band-Aids in terms of like girls, uh, was it Girls oh, Trip? Oh, like Girls Trip. Like that, movies like, that are black. Black movies that and you were really labeling well. them band-aid movies yeah, yeah, like yeah, they're yeah. like no, here's no, no. the no okay but, I mean, and by the way girls trip is an incredible film if you fantastic. haven't seen it and um uh yeah anyway i could get the peeing thing is one of my favorite moments uh so <laughs> so but the point is that yes so uh uh it is astonishing to think even the the crayon the crayola example is always yeah. the great example yeah. right flesh colored right right 
Um, the and I forget who was the I forget the woman's name right now. She's wonderful. She's the the old, the old white woman who's been talking about race for Elliot. Elliot. Jean Elliot. Yeah. You know, Jean Elliot, and and I I've read some things where there's some people who have you know issues with elements of Jean Elliot as well, which is you know what it is. I guess I I haven't looked too deeply into it. Um, but talk about indoctrination, just talking about looking at a map, a world map, right. um, and how we view the world. Um, yeah, of course, the, the idea that McDonald's didn't show an interracial couple until like 20, like 2006 or something. It's like a pretty crazy time before they were able to to show an interracial couple in a commercial, not allowed, they allowed themselves. Um, but the second part, the reason I really stopped you for a moment on this is that we have a Twitch stream, my friend John and I do. Mm -hmm. And of course, and we're both middle-aged white men and we're playing and we have a kid who is my friend's stepson, Leo, who's 17 and we call him the quarantine, right? Like he's mm -hmm. like the teen who's stuck in his house and he games with us, right? To sort of like, we joke to give us street cred and all this, right? You know, for Leo's really good and he can like actually play games and we're sort mm -hmm. of like idiots. And so Leo is of Latinx uh, background and he brought up in this chat talking about his personal experience of racism within the Latinx community. And my, I have to say, there's good people who are listening to this, who will listen to this podcast or are supporters of my Patreon who are going to be a little bumped by this right now. Yeah. They both have doctorates in Latinx history and they really went after Leo. They were really upset at Leo bringing it up. And it was a really, and, and maybe it was the way Leo brought it up. He is 17. So it wasn't like maybe he was all, you know, maybe it was rough around the edges or whatever. I'm not really sure, but one John and I couldn't speak to it. John and I sort of I, had to lay I back. I can't speak to it. Yeah, exactly. But I have been observing um, yes. that conversation uh, based on the, the Latinx. So it um, got hot very quick. Yeah. It got hot very quick. And I went, oh, so there is some truth. Basically, again, everything for me is from teaching. That's how I know the world. Right. And I know when things get hot between people, there's something real happening. Right. And it can be good. But it was very interesting just that you brought it up. I think it'll be validating for my... Uh, our young, our young listeners too. Yes. Which of all of which there are one, Zulina, no. one young listener. Well, well, I think, <laughs> you know, it, whenever people are defensive about something, it's usually because you've said something true. Right. Um, yes. And it doesn't mean that all of it has to be true. It doesn't mean that, you know, there isn't because part of, part of the reason why racism works. And I was just watching an old clip of Angela Davis sort of explaining um, you know, how racism is utilized to divide. Mm -hmm. um, and particularly in this moment when we're in an economic crisis, right? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what, was been, what was revealed by the pandemic is that, you know, the, the, the powers that be would, would just let us all die. I mean, like mm -hmm. they were like willing to just let us all die and they weren't mm -hmm. going to help. Yeah. And, even though they work for us, even though we were paying tax, their salaries and, and taxpayer money into those services so that, you know, doctors can have PPE. Like, what the hell? You know? Yeah. These are well, the, kinds of the things, blue flu. Let's right? talk about this blue flu, which oh, is gosh. to me what a propaganda act, right? Mm -hmm. On Hannity, 
last night, this is dating us a little bit. Right. So Wednesday, June 17th. Today right. is my grandmother. She's dead, but be my grandmother's like, you know, birthday today. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> R.I.P. Tilly. No, I love Tilly. It's just, you know, when you process something, you know, you go, well, you know, but she was like a mother to me besides my actual mother. Um, But the point being, uh, I digressed real quick there, uh, that the blue flu, which to me seems like a total rollout of a it's both a real thing, but it seems to me like it was signaled by the president. It wasn't talking about. Uh, and I, that is one thing I do wish more would happen in the cable world is like, can't someone just turn and go, come on, why are we even dignifying this with 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 any sort of coverage? And, and granted, it's only been six hours or 10 hours, so I don't know what the coverage is yet today. But the thing that astonishes me is we talk about heroizing people, right? And heroes yeah. and who are heroes in our society, right? And when I went on the march, uh, the march that went from 29th up to uh, York at, at the at de Blasio's um, a few weeks ago. And at one point we were passing two different we passed two different hospitals with nurses out there kneeling and clapping. Right. Of every background. And I have to say, I am rarely and I'm an emotional person. I cry at things and all that, but I'm rarely spontaneously moved. I usually right. will be moved later or when yeah, I think yeah. about it. Yeah, I found myself crying before I could catch up to the state of emotion. Right. Looking at it going, these people have been in the shit for three months. Some of them getting sick. Some of them probably seeing uh, not only uh, patients, but their own uh, co-workers die. A lot of them are women of color. In fact, the majority of them are women of color. And here they are kneeling. I'm getting emotional talking about right now. Right. And it was a powerful image. And I go, okay, so there's hero. There's a hero. I can see it. I understand it. Even the guy, even the garbage guy who has to go come down here, pick up that. That's a hero. Okay. I don't get why we keep calling these cops heroes when at the first sign of trouble, they act you got the aw shucks guy that speech in NYPD going, they what? They don't respect us. Like it's a scene out right. of Spider-Man. Right. And then you have this blue flu, this idea of walking out on your responsibilities because you don't like that you might have to change something. What more of an example of the yeah. height of power without accountability could you see? Sorry, that's my speech. Well, no, I mean, I think the thing that's so interesting about this moment Mm-hmm. And everyone is saying it's different. And the thing that is different is that we are, I mean, the police do, they, they do shenanigans every time. They lie a lot on police mm-hmm. reports. Um, they lie to the public. It is a Cat Williams joke for a reason. The police can kill you today and come up with a reason for the news tomorrow. That is yeah. the joke. That yeah. it, that's a joke and it's funny because it's the truth, yeah. right? Yeah. It's based in like true, true, true truth. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, I think th- it's always funny to me that I was wondering how many times we we're going to go through the cycle where the police kill someone. This has been happening my entire life. I can I'm I grew up in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Sean Bell, I'm going to do all these are all in my mind. Mm-hmm. So 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 I've been protesting or being triggered, traumatized by these incidents in the news 
since I was young. Mm-hmm. We all sort of have, right? Yes. So yes. I was wondering how many times we're going to go through a cycle where the police kill someone. Everybody is upset about it because no one's been arrested for that murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and in our society, murder is a crime already on the books. That's why there's right. a whole call for like new laws. We don't need new laws. We need better police. Yes. Right. So, yes. Yes. Um, and so for me, I was wondering at what point in the cycle doing the cycle repeatedly, are we going to be realized that we're going outside to protest and then the police show up at the protests against the police to calm the violence, uh, calm uh, the protest, right? You're protesting them. Yeah. Right. And then they show up at the protest against them. Yes. And then we expect it to be peaceful. Mm-hmm. And they, and, and, you know, again, they sure they're showing up in Ryan gear. They're showing up with tanks mm-hmm. and rubber bullets. And so they're not a peacekeeping bunch, right? They no. don't seem, and, and what incentive would they have to keep the peace? against protesters who are protesting them. They have right. no incentive. No, it looks to, it looks better no in, for their argument, it, right? It looks better for their argument to yeah. show everyone out of control on television to say we had to use this brutal force because look, there it's anarchy. Look mm-hmm. people in the suburbs watching on CNN, mm-hmm. they're coming for you. Mm-hmm. And like the 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 whole no well, the thing no one really wants to say is that people who live in white communities don't want police. They don't police in their communities. Right. You don't see police in the suburbs the way that you see police in the inner city. The reason why is because white people do not want them there. Right. And what's proven is they are not needed. Yeah. They are not needed. So when people are like, well, what what, what, what happened if we defunded the police? Yeah. Well, we fund things that actually do need the funding because yes. the police clearly do not. In fact, their bloated budgets were not going to increases in, I don't know, so their rates of solving crime. Even, yes. Right? So so I think... Was the, it 40% rate yeah, of it, actually it, solving crimes? And, of murder, and, and, I think? And in that, it's like 5% of the crimes people are really charged and arrested for are like the violent kind. Like right. there, there are, there are right. some crazy stats that, that folks have now amplified about really what our money is going to and what police are actually doing with it. So I wondered how many times we would go through this cycle where we, they, they kill someone, we go outside, we yell, the police are violent, they're out of control. Mm-hmm. And then the police are violent and out of control mm-hmm. in front of the camera. Yep. And then the media goes, you know, the target's on fire. Or yeah. the, the, the CVS, that was the Baltimore CVS. They had a broken yeah. window. Yes. And or I'm the like, Wendy's or the Wendy's. Or the Wendy's. And so I just, you know, I think what's different in this moment is everyone is able to be like, wait, I think it's the police that are the ones that are out of control. <laughs> and, yeah. to the, and to the point about the blue flu, I think, you know, Jess jokes on the show every morning that even when they use the euphemism you know, bad apples, mm-hmm. that it is part of the ex- the expression, bad apples, like, spoil the, the whole bunch. barrel. Right? They, they're the whole bunch. Like, yep. the, the whole, the expression that they are only using half of to defend the indefensible is actually an expression that says, no, the two bad apples actually do spoil the bunch. And I think that 
you know, what happened in Buffalo was very instructive. Oh, if God, anybody yeah. could watch the tape of that old man getting knocked down by the police who step over him while he's bleeding out on the sidewalk. Yep. Yes. And then they say the people who defend that contact and applause for those people and walk off the job in solidarity with those people. Yeah. Then like is the whole bunch spoiled. Yes. Well, and also you can see it in real time in that moment, right? You see in that moment, because I talked about this the day yeah. after it happened on Coffee with Tony Live, um, <laughs> that this that that you can see the culture, the toxic culture of policing play out because guy knocks him over, right? Gives him a shove. Other guy gives him a shove. A third guy looks down to go, oh, maybe we... And the other guy goes, no, nope. let's go. Yep. And everyone moves in. Who's the person who actually steps down is uh, is a National Guardsman, right? Which I just found very interesting. In yes. a, you know, I don't, in the sense that I don't know the sort of greater dynamic of the National Guard and all that, but I do know that it's interesting. Not one police officer did anything. And I talked with Flossie about this, which is the notion of the sliding scale, what I would say is like the 80-20 scale. Mm-hmm. That at any time someone is, let's say, 80% that generally people, general people who, let's say, join the force or whatever, you could slide them on this scale. If the culture is good, positive, healthy, and and part of education and understanding the community you're policing or a part of or however we want to start referring to that even as opposed to policing with piecing or whatever, if you have a positive culture then maybe the person who was in the force who hasn't done anything or whatever, maybe they're going to slide that 80% into the space of, right? Because people, let's face it, most people are why we have what we have, the organized society we have is partly to keep people's darker, you know, uh, shadow passengers in check, right? When you have a culture that says there is no repercussion. You Dexter. You bet. Are you kidding me? I just want just a sidebar. Watch the Dexter finale just to remember how terrible and confusing. Oh, it's really bad. And it's to watch bad. that and go, that's like that was like watching like a great like musician or something. Yeah. Just because, yeah. of course, the Lithgow season is the best. Oh, yeah. I feel like yeah. after that, I don't know what happened. I mean, I'm. Well, the Jimmy okay. Smiths. There's Jimmy, Jimmy Smith. Smith is so good. Oh, see, we're going to go through the Dexter season. We can we can do a whole podcast about it if you. I'm definitely. I mean, I am just as passionate about culture as I pop culture and TV and all of that as I am about politics. It's like it's a thing. Um, I think it's good to vacillate this way too because you can't live in one thing. No totality, right? I need to. You have to. You have to. Oh well. Wait. I want to just just say that sliding scale. Yeah. Real quick though, because it was a. A point I think to you, which is that, or to 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 put forward is like, I knew two cops uh, at John's Pizzeria and went to John's, and we'll call them Danny and uh, Papo, and Papo was an awful human being, awful, just an awful racist, sexist, misogynist piece of garbage. Who, by the way, was friends with all the Fox News hosts. Hannity used to come in to John's. And have lunch with uh, lunch and dinner with them on Wednesdays. Okay, all the Fox folks came in there. I used wow. to talk to all of them, scream at them. This is the early odds. Then there was Danny, and Danny, he was like, 
a good soul, but also, you know, a six foot three German cop who, you know, if it 70 years earlier would have been like, you know, you know, loading me into the oven that uh, he was good and kind, but could be just as racist and just as terrible, partly because of his relationship with Papo. And I always wonder about Danny and whether if Danny had been in a culture from the beginning, yeah, yeah. would Danny have ended up even being at least overtly that way? Because then we get into this question of how it's about changing the culture, but then also there are people you know that you're like, how do you reach into that person and change him? Right. Like you think about the person who thinks that there's a QAnon conspiracy yeah. to breathe your own carbon dioxide in the supermarket and Black Lives Matter wants to poison us with disease and they partnered with China to bring COVID here in order to create this movement, which is like a real thing, a real thing. How do you even one? Is that just unreachable Two, is this? Is this sort of the Jonestowning of the United States and we just have to accept that we've lost 30 million yeah. people to the yeah, cult? No, yes, we've lost them. I don't I don't know how to get them back. But I also know that I'm not going to spend the rest of my life, you know, using, you know, what is a limited resource, energy and time, mm -hmm. um, trying to get them back. Yeah. Because there's so, there, because people are being, everyone else is being hurt right now. Yes. By our lack of action on so many issues, that it's like if those people over there want to drink the Kool Aid, because that's where we're at now. I mm. mean, we're at the COVID drink the Kool Aid moment, mm. literally. Yes. Um, tomorrow, tomorrow, they, or no, Saturday. Sorry. Right at the rally, um, and you know, if if we're there, then I can't save those people, but I can save the people who won need need saving or need investment reinvestment yes they need attention they need to be seen they need to be paid attention to and their interests need to be um centered yes. as we go forward i mean i just i just think so much about the fact that we spent three and a half years obsessed with the people who voted for obama then flipped and voted for donald trump mm -hmm. and we have spent zero minutes talking about the 4 million people who voted for Obama and then chose to not vote. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Oh, one, wow. million, one million of those people were black people. Yeah. So I'm just saying I'm not good at math. It's not my strength, but feels to me like there's more of those people, more of the exactly. people that we can get. Well, the gettables, well, this is an interesting thing. We're bouncing around a bit, but I think yeah. it's great, which is that we talk about, God, I feel like I'm going to have to ask you to come back for another hour, but I got to get I Jess. I got to get now I have to have Jess because I can't do I this. Uh, you can't play favorites. We can, can we do both at the same time? We're real fun. Of course. Let me give Jess one solo for her, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Even Watch out, this be just equitable. become a weird sort of like apocrypha of signal boost. Right. It's just like this podcast where we're always talking. I'd be fine with that. Um, I would be perfectly fine with that. Um, so I'm going to try to run through this gauntlet, which is there's this argument that happened this time that happened in 2016. We were at the thick of it in New Hampshire when mm -hmm. we were there. Uh, I was at uh, the Bernie win rally. I ended up getting used in propaganda, which made me furious 
Because even when I was at the Hillary win in 2008, which I was, and I hugged Terry McAuliffe uh, right as he came off because we somehow made our way into the press pool. And I stood next to Andrea Mitchell and we watched Candy Crowley uh, massage her feet. And we were both like, oh, God, (laughs) it was amazing. I'm really revealing a lot. I probably shouldn't. Uh, But the point, but it was so long ago that like uh, the the argument was there's all these people. There's all these people. Right. And then the roll, the the rolling thunder happens pre covid, pre any going out to primary. Okay, people of their own volition in South Carolina are coming out and voting. And the truth of the matter is the turnout wasn't there. No one's ever going to make the argument to me that there was some active form of particular voter suppression of a Bernie voter. I do believe there's voter suppression. I believe there's voter suppression of black and brown people. I believe that the states also uh, are, depending on the state, doing all kinds of trickery to create and limit the capacity for the vote to turn out. So it's not... but. There's a merging of those issues that always happens, right? Where it's like, yeah. no, it's just for us. It's like, no, come on. That Then we had this moment where it's like, well, those older black people didn't know what they were doing. They right. don't know. They're not voting their own interests. And by the time we see, and again, I, again I'm not anti. I've met Bernie a couple of times. I uh, like, a, I, uh, as you said, I support pretty much all of the things in terms of some way of achieving them. I just felt that in a diverse field, and the same thing with Joe Biden, I'll say, in a diverse field where we had Latinx, uh, black women, uh, 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 people, uh, uh, women, younger men, a uh, black man running for office, I could not believe that it shook out to those two. Yeah. But it did. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it did. And Biden has not only did decisively win it. Yeah. But when you look at the metrics, not the national polls, because you'll remember when I was there at the Clinton thing in 2016, how I kept barking about how I was because someone said to me, you might not have been with me when we're walking around at that point. But someone's like, we're up seven points. And I was like, you are not. I was like, you're down two points. This is the beginning of August. And they got right. mad at me. And I yep. went, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm around the country. I'm telling you, it's not how you think it is. This time around, though, it is clear met right now and five months is a lifetime, but it's the metrics are right now state by state very good. Forget national polling, national polling, who cares? The average of all polls, I don't care. But state polls, I care right. about. Texas is within a point. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's insane. And by multiple polls. So, one, can we put to bed this idea that somehow there's this l- secret treasure trove of voters? that are going to show up when they didn't in in the in the in the sort of Bernie world but mm-hmm. then say there is a treasure trove of voters yeah that are available but they are being battered ignored and right. marginalized at every turn and what do you think in terms of a vice presidential pick does that accelerate it does it not impact it at all or could it or could it damage Based mm. on his decision, and and I I don't think and who, who do you think is the the most in the running? I personally, Kamala Harris is yeah. the one uh, because they've already had their thing out, and they actually optics wise, I just want to say this, but optics wise, the idea that she's already confronted him yeah. on race 
means that this is a partnership in the political world. And let's face it, the political world is theatrical, that mm -hmm. we have this theater already in play. Right. And so that's what I want to put forward. I feel like maybe I robbed you of your own point. So No, no, no. I, I mean, you, no, no, no. It's, it, I think I'll take it in two parts. So the first piece, yes, there is the the we have to put to bed this notion that there was a you know trump uses the phrase silent majority but i think the bernie wing of the party thinks that there's this silent progressive white majority mm. on the left like on the left that is going to win elections and my thing was like okay show me and they didn't they were not able to do it and the reason why i knew i i, I basically like did my own focus grouping with my relatives mm -hmm. throughout the primary, not because I'm trying to report it out in any way, but just to get a sense of how the boomer generation of black people, what they think about all these candidates, like how are they assessing people? And one thing that constantly came up with older black voters mm -hmm. and Bernie Sanders that I spoke to and this is borne out through extensive reporting in the New York Times, just to back up my point, and you can Google that. But, okay, Bernie, you want Medicare for all? Show me how you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Black people have lived through Jim Crow, you know, enslavement, lynching, redemption, and you need to tell me what, where you're going. Mm -hmm. I'm not just going to follow along. Yeah. I mean, I'm, just not, I'm not just going to follow you because you said the right thing. You need to show me how you're going to do it. And he never did. Yeah. And he never, and he would scoff at the, the questions and the ideas. And so would his supporters, frankly. Yes. Um, and if you didn't support Bernie Sanders, they would, you know, retort, you know, you want everybody to die. And you're just like, that is, what are we even talking about at that point? Yes. How is that a productive conversation? So I just think that we have to put to bed this notion that was a, there was a silent uh, majority of white voters on the left that, you know, were so disaffected with the Democratic Party that they weren't turning out and that they would turn out for the right progressive candidate, be it Bernie Sanders, only Bernie Sanders, couldn't be Elizabeth Warren. That's always so interesting. Oh, I know, right? Um, yeah. That's always been interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess- Who had plans, who, yeah, who also who had, had plans. plans. And the yeah. vision to yeah. get done what you say you want. Mm -hmm. um, so, But I mean, that's the sort of central thesis of my book is that no, there is no silent white majority. The majority is, people of color, black and brown people. That's mm. going to be the majority, particularly Latin, the Latinx community, which I have to say I am not a member of, mm -hmm. but you know, a member of that community can absolutely lean into the end of white politics from that yeah. lived experience and perspective yes. because you know, their interests often are then also you know, uh, drowned out by black issues often. I mean, yes. that really happens a lot. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, as we move forward, we can put to bed the notion that yeah. there was some mythical Bernie voter that that was out there that was going to make a majority. The unicorn voter. The unicorn voter. And, and, and it makes sense because um, they're white and they have a horn. Yeah. But <laughs> but I think I think that older black voters, they've just lived and survived through so many things that in order to gain their trust and to speak to them in a way that you know, they understand you have to tell us where you're going to go and how you're going to get there. Yeah. And I think that that was one of the failings, although it was improved between 2016 and 2020. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, he hired a lot better people. He, he listened to Nana Turner uh, more in 2020. Yes, he um, did. And so I think that there was a big improvement. So I want to credit him with a huge improvement on these issues. Yeah. However, I do think, and I talk about people who judge in my book a lot as well, because I think that if there was anybody who formed their lips to tell me that I was supposed to take him more seriously than Kamala Harris or Kirsten Gillibrand or Senator Elizabeth Warren, then they are crazy. Yep. And, um, and the only reason why you would do that is if you are not reflecting upon your blind spot for automatically taking white men more seriously than any other person. Because Elizabeth Warren could never show up and say, I'll tell you what my plans are later. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to tell you what my values are. Like, no woman or person of color could ever do that. No. And so we just have to, like, acknowledge that, own it, as yeah. a, you know, own it. Um, and then we can move forward. And the fact that the, the, the primary ended up as Joe Biden and, and Bernie Sanders, I didn't know that that was going to be the case when I started writing the book. Mm-hmm. When it was the case, I was like, wow, we really do need to end this white politics business. Yep. Um, which the media that I'm a member of contributes to in this way. We don't judge the candidates fairly. No. We tax the women and we weight their mistakes in a different way. Mm. And I think that this primary has proven that. Because if you required Elizabeth Warren to tell us how she was going to play for her Medicare for All plan and then did not turn around and ask Bernie Sanders the same question and demand the same answers and, and do the same segments about how he's obfuscating the question, mm-hmm. then you are holding candidates to a double standard. And it so happens one is a woman and one is a man. Yeah. And the one who did not answer the question beat the one who did answer the question. Yeah. And that shouldn't be the case. Yeah, that's so some just, low expectations. You know, it's just, you know the, I think the day Elizabeth Warren dropped out was a sad day. I was very angry. That was a gut punch. Um, because if, if, if that woman is not given, and I'm not saying she wasn't given um, a serious hearing out in terms of being a contender for president, but it wasn't serious enough. Right. And if, if she's not good enough, if Hillary Clinton is not good enough, then who is? But Donald Trump is the president, <laughs> and then you're, and then people are going to be like, "Well, gender is not, it's not a hindrance, or being black, that's you know, that's not actually as hard as you're making it out to be." I'm like, "Well, live one day in my shoes, and then come back and let me know." Oh, you can't. Well, then. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. they're they're just. I mean, I just think that it's so it reveals so much about people who express those those types of points of view it's it says yeah, a lot well, about them it's it says a lot about them it's uh incredibly uh um uncomfortable when you hear people talking like that now and and i think that um the thing that really frightens me in hearing you synthesize this and i'm always sort of hearing it through the through the filter of what is the toxic problem that's happening on the left i don't care about the right like yep. we said, Jonestown's already there. They're going to get the Kool-Aid. We've They're lost those Kool-Aid. 30 million. They're only 10% or less of the population, so I'm not worried about it. The two things I'm worried about are lazy news producers who check Twitter for their stories, right? And so we follow t- trends where we don't need to. And the baiting on Twitter that creates this sort of reality that's not as true as, as people want it to be in terms of the... 
Uh, I think this is how you could believe this sort of silent left, right? But also this, I don't want to say horseshoe theory, but horseshoe theory of, and something, again, I just thread it to New Hampshire. And because I was very proud um, to have you at the show, mm-hmm. it made me feel very honored that you came to see the show. And um, I think one of the reasons why is because I don't feel like I've had a lot of, I haven't had a lot of people who I know in your world, uh, or I think a lot of people see a a a comic or a person who's a political comic, I guess in this moment, I don't always see myself as a political comic because mm-hmm. I do a lot of just dumb characters, but like the idea of a thing that people don't think about, which is going into the lion's den of your own sort of supposed base of audience, right. white male and yeah. ultra liberal yeah. and going, you're the problem. And, um, and, to see how that is met with sort of stunted silence. Oh, it was, it was, it's my, it's like my favorite song. I mean, mainly because like I, I was in the back, I had a good vantage point and there was a moment in the beginning of the show and we're talking about New Hampshire. So, um, you know, it was mo- mostly white audience, but actually I thought I was the only black person. And then it wasn't until you like pointed at one other person you were like my african-american and you weren't pointing at me i was like there's another black person here so that just gives you a sense of the audience but i think that you know when you started talking about people who like to walk around and think that they're not racist and that they don't have bias and that they're good people Mm -hmm. and they're good liberals Mm -hmm. but there's still some stuff that they're not unpacking yeah. And I think the, the one example that actually stood out to me was the blue apron example. That's the one that I like couldn't hold it together because, you know, the, the stunned silence, the stunned silence and just like the deafening silence of just laughing and then realizing that, no, he's actually calling you out now <laughs> and that you you're st- you you've actually stopped laughing at Trump and you're like, wait, am I is a joke about me? You know, mm-hmm. it's not about yeah. Trump anymore. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think Trump is, is a reflection of just like the worst sort of historical and cultural characteristics of the United States. Yes. As a nation. He's he actually is the, an embodiment. He's the, he's embodies so many things yes. that are that are problematic about us. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say in religion. Yeah, yeah. Is in a way, is he sort of like, you know, if you were had a religious perspective, I guess is has he been served up to the world in a way as the sacrifice? I mean, it's well. I, I don't mean, know I if I believe that. that. I, I don't, don't know if I believe. Listen, no, I, I, I'm I not was, religious. Also, I was, well, like my fam, my family is, but I'm not. I'm not particularly, and I feel like Jess is always like I'm aggressively agnostic. I don't know, and you don't either. And I'm sort of like landing there. I, I find myself landing there a lot because, you know. But then you have faith, so then you could argue that you just like you're having faith, even though you don't really know. Right. Um, but I think that Trump is. America's it's like it's a reflection of our history yes. the person yeah and and I think it, it's interesting it's happening at this moment 
um, it was Brittany Cooper, Professor Brittany Cooper, who said um, that after, coming after the best black man, I mean, we had the best yes. black man and it, he had to be the best. Of course. He had to be the best. He had to be, you know, married to Michelle and have two perfect children. He had mm -hmm. to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he had to be in office and be perfect in office, even though people were acting crazy, right? Yes. People were acting a fool in hindsight. Think about it. Yes. And so, but after that, in, in order to sort of reset this white supremacist narrative we've all bought into, this mm -hmm. lie. Mm-hmm. We elected literally the least impressive white man th that exists. I mean, that's what we did. We 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 had the uh, Brittany Cooper said this: the best black man wins the worst white man. I was like, wow, yeah, that is deep, but yeah. also reflects, I think, our need to look into the mirror of our past and see what we have done, and see the end result. The end result is we are in pandemic with the worst president we have ever had uh -huh. at the worst possible time. We need a federal government response and we have somebody in charge of the federal government who doesn't know how to run anything. Yes. It's a stop. And you think about it, the country is basically like a car that's been running without oil for three exactly. and a half years. And, you know, right. then suddenly the engine just grind, like, right. It doesn't happen slowly. It's just one day the engine just locks up. So I used to say this sometimes in shows or in interviews, which is, Think about how actually amazing the mechanism of our bureaucracy is that it right. could run without a driver, gasoline or oil for that long. So that's a testament to the system in some ways, in, in the sense of the bones of it, the sort of right. nervous system of it. What we have to do is do sort of a man with two brains, uh, sort of Steve Martin, <laughs> full on removal of the head and and I think that it's so true that, you know, Trump, in a way, we look at it in, in Jungian terms, because we used to do in the 2016 show, I would sing Me and My Shadow, mm -hmm. that Trump is the Jungian shadow of the United States. It's every mm -hmm. single thing we don't want to look at. It's everything that we're afraid to admit about ourselves. And I think he was a culmination of what Reagan began. And yeah. I think a thing that's lost in a lot of the policing arguments is looking at what what do people discuss? Mental health calls. Right. Uh, the amount of nonviolent or non, you know, I mean, ticketable, non sort of jailable offenses. And why are we doing that and overdoing right. that in particularly black communities uh, and and in cities uh, and, of course, uh, black areas like, for instance, um, Poughkeepsie, where you have hyper policing. Mm -hmm. Right. As opposed mm -hmm. to just what uh, an hour north to Kingston. Right. OK, right. so because I know we need to wrap so uh, wrap up. So. Um, the point being that to me, we look at these things. These are all tendrils of things that are long before Trump. Right. But Trump in some way is a manifestation of this in a way that is uh, uh, leaving us to our own devices. And I think it's a, an example also of the abandonment of civics and the abandonment of the kitchen table conversation, like you said, about multi-generational multi conversations that are happening because everyone's right. home. We're, we're returning to back, I think, to a natural state, the natural state of being. And mm -hmm. that natural state pushes forward conversation, right. change, and transformation. Right. Uh, and probably the end of white politics, uh, to plug I the book. So. Yeah, um, I know. And I want to know, are you watching the uh, uh, Dirty John, the new Dirty John on USA? And did you watch the old Dirty John? This is my last question, which is totally off politics. 
Oh wait, did you freeze for a second? Yeah, you froze for a second. Did you oh, okay. watch Dirty John, the um, the the series on USA about the woman who got you know stalked by this guy? No, John? is that is that on Netflix? Because I saw that it has like the lady from Friday Night Lights. Yes. So there's a second season on USA. Oh. Just because I feel like if you like Dexter, if you you will love Dirty John Betty, which is the Betty Broderick or Roderick story about a woman who killed her husband because he basically uh, divorced her and gaslit her in an affair. I think you'd like it just based on touching on Dexter. If that's the type of TV you enjoy, I like serial <laughs> killers. No, I don't. I always joke. I'm like, I don't know what it says about me, but I was like. You know, I, I every time I go, I told my sister every time I go to Netflix, I'm like, why do I want to watch Mindhunter again? What does oh, that say about me? You watching um, Hannibal? Did you? Are you watching no, Hannibal? No, I didn't watch that because that feels like too on the nose. But but you know what? I am all about serial killer content. Um, I don't know. I I I feel like part of it is like I'm trying to educate my. Jess always says like I'm trying to learn how to survive. You know, I'm trying to educate myself. There's a line in Mindhunter, which makes sense. And, I, and this is why I think I like it. Um, in the first season where uh, she studies sociopaths. Yes. Uh, and, and, and so she's talking to the FBI agents about how she studies in the context of politics mm -hmm. and running for president. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And the line is like, don't you have to be a sociopath to run for president? And it's just like, there's something about politics sort of public you know, the, the public arena, um, you know, and the people who have power over us that attracts a very particular type of person. Oh, and I, yeah. I feel like I think my quest is to try to understand that type of person so I can navigate better. Yes. Maybe that's why I like serial killer content. I yeah, don't know. Survive. I think I agree with you and Jess, which is it is about survival and identifying, you know, I feel like any of us who enjoy also publicly appearing, speaking and doing things like that, we have some little stripe in us. You have to, I think, to be like, I'm worthy of saying and sharing these things. But I think like we talked very early in the beginning about the imposter syndrome part right. in relationship to the book is I think the p folks who don't have the imposter syndrome scare me the most. Yeah, because I'm like, you don't have any self-reflection about the weight of what you're doing and what you're saying, you know, because when you advance in this world and when you become more public, there right. is a deep panic that occurs. Oh, a deep my panic. goodness. Right. You no, know, the fact that I wrote a book and I'm like, people are going to read it now and uh -huh. then like have thoughts about it and like disagree and then tell me. And then I'm going to be like, I wrote a thing and it's not like an article or and it's not a tweet. I can we can't edit tweets, but it's not something I can delete. It's a book. No. It's going to be in out Forever. there it'll be in the library of congress yes. which is the most exciting and let me tell you you know what i have mine on pre-order and you. i will say also uh don't just ignore everybody <laughs> who says anything about your work ever that's what i've learned just ignore them unless they're a close friend because no. it's not <laughs> worth listening to um well, i think i mean to this point i i used to i used to use this quote from rachel hollis but we'll just I'm not even going to say why I'm not going to use it, uh, quote her in this moment, but I, but I do think there is something to be said for not taking the bad comments personally and not taking the good comments personally yes. and just sort of, you know, caring only about the opinions of the people who love and care about you because the right people do think you're great. Yes. You don't need, I don't need people who don't know me to think I'm great. They don't know me. Yeah. So if they think I'm great, 
What does it mean? Like, what does it mean? Yeah. Because they don't know me. I could be terrible. Yes. You know? And so I think, you know, one, I, I know I'm not terrible. Two, I'm working on it every single day in quarantine, especially because I, I, my goal is to come out on the other side a little bit more um, enlightened mm. in a way, but like not in some like LA type way, even though hopefully that's where I end up at the end of all of this. <laughs> um, just because I, the next time we have to go into lockdown, I'm trying to have a pool and <laughs> some sunshine. Because um, like... Whew. Now I'm like the country seems great, you know. Like you always had to be in New York, and now you're like, well, actually, a backyard. Oh, that's how I, I mean. We just redid the porch so that Listen, we could be on the porch. The porches I have gotten through because my parents have a porch, and I just that porch it. get me through. I get why old people always sit on the porch, but I feel like, you know, I don't take anybody's sort of feedback to heart. Yes, I take it. I take it seriously. And I might even, you know, try to improve upon it if I find it constructive. But I try very much um, to not take it personally yeah. um, because they don't know me as a person. Yes. And you just who can, I mean, as a comic, it's like, yeah, yeah. I can't even yeah, yeah. I can't even consider that. In fact, if anything, doing shows with my friend John, we've been doing mm -hmm. variety shows again. And we finished one and I said to John, I go, you know, I don't even care about the laughter. I said, I just enjoy us like making each other laugh because mm -hmm. people are like, we miss the laughter. And I'm like, I don't I don't care. Quite frankly, I realized I don't even perform for the people. Right. I don't even care about them. They're just right. there. You want to watch it? Fine. You don't. It's, you know, doesn't matter to me. It's like a swingers club. Watch, right. don't, I don't care. I'm going to do <laughs> my thing no matter what. I don't care, what I want to do. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, Zulia, thank you for giving me extra time. Uh, I appreciate it. And it was great to uh, catch up. Again, it's the end of white politics. Uh, How to Heal Our Liberal Divides by Zerlina Maxwell. And you can follow her on Twitter at Zerlina Maxwell, where she'll get into it. She does not care. There's a place where she will get into it. I will get into it, too. But I care. Yes, I don't, you care. Well, there I have a couple of rules. I don't curse. Um, yes, and I do. <laughs> I don't. I don't curse. I tried really. I don't curse. Uh, I just have that as a rule because you could like take a tweet in isolation and then make it. I just. I know how this game is played, and so I yeah. try really hard to not give them the easy ammunition. Yeah, um, that's true. Particularly as as a visible black woman in media, I know that. You know, I don't know. I do not have the same leeway and flexibility as others in yes. this industry to express myself um, using curse words or, you know, being more out there. So I do try to be um, respectful of that professionalism, at least. Um, but, I, you know, and I try not to attack anybody personally. It's never about that. Never about that. Yes. It's always about making a larger point. I always am thinking about how something I'm saying is going to sound or look in five years. I really am because uh, I think a lot of people's commentary in the beginning of this administration, they should be embarrassed. Oh yeah. You oh, know, yeah. Uh, so yes. he sounds presidential, you know, people oh. who got caught up in a little bit of themselves for a moment. Speaking yes. of people who don't have imposter syndrome. Um, and, and white apology. And, white and, apology. And, and, yeah. And I think that they just normalized this president um, that we all now know is not like any of the other presidents.
Um, I don't know how and, anybody missed it. I, 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 that's the thing that blows my mind. I, I don't know how any, the fact that this John Bolton book it, it coming out and they're like, and it's a, another round of people going, wait, he's an unserious idiot. And I'm like, why? I don't get it, man. How did you not know he was an unserious idiot when he rolled down an escalator like a moron right. with paid uh, people s- sitting there? I, I don't get it. You know, I always say it's the Morton Downey Jr. F- juniorization of politics. Right. And from New Jersey, well, you might remember Morton Downey Jr. I'm not yeah, sure. I do. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is that a long time ago, um, Keith Olbermann had a segment after Citizens United. And I remember he was like, are you ready for, you know, the uh, presidency of Sarah Palin brought to you by Citibank? Mm-hmm. Sorry, my phone is ringing. And I don't know why. It's spam. Spam callers are back. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Let me restart this part. Um, I remember I remember um, they said uh, Keith Olbermann had a segment where he talked about the Citizens United's decision, basically meaning the future Um, you know, a presidency with Sarah Palin brought to you by Citibank. Mm. And I don't know why I remember that today, but I feel like it's not that different except for the fact that the corporate or dark money that is funding this monster of an administration and and policies that are monstrous towards people Mm -hmm. uh, is is foreign money, is, is Russian money, is you know, corporate dark money, um, special interest money. I mean, he's being funded exactly by that. Yes. Um, was allowed by Citizen United. So I think about that sometimes. Yeah. We didn't get the pre- we didn't get Sarah Palin, but maybe that would have been better. Oh my goodness. I know, pretty amazing to think that, right? But yeah, I think you the Chinese, Russian, multinational money. You have all kinds of stuff. Citizens United was a true crack, but my hope is thinking that all these things are unfortunate turning over of the stone to lead us to see all the bugs underneath. We couldn't keep cruising the way we're cruising. No, I mean, we we're, were, we're basically like, we're basically like Germany. If we pretended the Holocaust didn't right. happen right. and the United States has got to acknowledge it's Holocaust and we have to, we'll have to get into another one, but you know, just getting into how are we really going to reparate repair and right. refresh this country in a way that, maybe actually does make it live up to the fictitious ideals that we claim it does. We claim it you know? and we want to hope for it. And I do, I believe in it. I believe I in too. the system at this moment in my life. And I would like, you know, you, you did ask about Joe Biden's pick as vice president. And oh, I yes. didn't answer the second part of that question. And I just remembered that I, he, has, he has to pick a black woman. I mean, there's not, there's no other pick one. There are many to choose from. I don't even I mean, I think Kamala Harris, Stacey Abrams, Val Demings, Susan Rice, those are the some of the women on the list. I'm I'm pick one. Yeah. Mo, you know, any mini money mo, pick one. Um, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, the black women are interchangeable because they are not. They all right. have their own strengths, weaknesses, and and records. Um, but my point is is that they are interchangeable in the sense that they are all qualified. Yes. And they are all more qualified to be president than Donald Trump. So anybody mm. that says, well, you know, I don't know about Stacey Abrams. Maybe she does not qualified. I'm That's like, the Donald big one, right? Trump is the president. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's because you have a million armchair, a million armchair commentators now, everyone thinking with their hot take, and it's all garbage because it, it has nothing to do with reality. 
Nothing they to do wanted to, with reality. They wanted to tell me that Pete Buttigieg could be president, but Stacey Abrams oh, yeah. can't be the vice president? Okay. Oh. I see what that reveals a lot about you, going back to that point. It, it yes. always says something about you. Well, Zerlina, with the last word, and thank God the second part of that question, or else every listener here would have been like, what the hell is happening? See, I almost yeah. swore, and now I'm not going to swear just for you. Hilarious. Um, you should try watching Hannibal. I'm going to just say, okay. try watching it. It's beautifully shot. It's actually quite like funny. That. I like shows like that. Mark Thompson from Kids in the Hall is in it. Okay. Uh, which I just think, I mean, Scott Thompson, sorry, Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall is in it, which oh, okay. is funny to see that like this guy, you know, that he's in it. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen is, is great. Anyway, uh, so check that out in your quarantine. I appreciate it so much. Yes. I will have Jess on, then I'll have you both on. That'll be fun. Uh, and I'm always available. <laughs> yeah, no, we should have you. We should have you back, particularly because, like, um, so what are the things I think is interesting? I mean, one of the segments I would love to do is, like, maybe having you on with Sarah Cooper, because we had her. Oh, yeah, I'm talking and to Sarah tomorrow. So, cause, so one of the things I think is, like, amazing about what she's done is sort of done the thing where when you see a woman doing the voice or like do it, doing oh, yeah. like when you watch her and you hear him, you're like, he's dumb, yes. you know? Whereas like, I already knew that, but like, and I knew that from watching you also, but, but like, I just feel like you guys. Have... Well, what she's done is isolated it. I mean, I'm talking to her tomorrow. Yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, like, it's so fascinating it's... to me. So maybe we want to have you both together. Yeah. She's to me when I looked at her conversation. Yeah. There's the person who, I wouldn't say this, but bested me. I went, if there's a person who I go, this is the person. I used to say this a lot for a while, too, is like if you really, and let's face it, it's true. Having a black woman embody him has got to be the deepest insult in the world to him. Oh, my right? God. It's got to be the deepest insult in the world, which I love. And what she's doing is brilliant. And it's the face, too, is the fact that the way she portrays the face with the language it so isolates him. Yes. You know, it isolates him. It's such a targeted thing. And, you know, because trust me, people send me Trump stuff. Oh, all I imagine a lot the of time. You, yeah. I hate it. I hate every single time someone's like, look at this person. Because also I see just another guy doing a voice. Right. And I don't care, you know. And, and arrogantly, it's like, I did it. I don't need to see someone else do it. Right. But then when you see something new and also, and that's why I want to talk to her. I, was, I want to be like, wow, welcome to this fray because it's a particular place to be, you know. And I'm a white man. I can't even imagine for you what the tweets and messages you're getting must be. You know? And so anyway, imagine. yeah, have it on. Um, I'd love to be on. Have it have it whenever. Uh, yeah, but thank I, that, you. I just occurred to me that that would be a fun discussion because both of you like have sort of been able to like identify certain parts of his brain and like bring that to the fore, like yeah. in a specific way, you know. And that I mean, people need to see that and understand it because this man, he is so, my dad. Every day he says he's just so dumb. I'm like, Dad. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Wait, I bought a boat. I bought a boat because they elected this moron and everybody walked around like they were safe. And I was like, they are not, we are not safe. I remember like being on set with Chris Hayes and like, you know, Bernie, the, the guy, the, one of the stage um, managers, you know, he'd be like, I'm thinking about traveling to like Paris or something. 
And I was like, you better go now. We all going to die. And Chris was already like, oh, it's really so bad. I was like, I am dead ass serious. We're about to all die. We're sitting in a hot spot of terrorism in oh, Times yeah. Square with Donald Trump as a president. And people here are acting like we have tomorrow. Yeah. You know, like I would be in my office and my office mate, I would be ranting at the TV and she'd look at me like I was crazy. And I was like, you're over there doing your job and you think it's important and then it matters. And I'm sure you, and very important, you're important, you matter. But it, we're all going to die like any second. Yes. So like you look at me like I'm crazy. You, she looked at me like I was crazy. Like I had a respirator mask in my desk and I was like, hey, just so you know, if we ever need it, it's down there. Of course, here we are. Pandemic. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I just, I'm like, listen, I knew the, the, the danger that we were in and it was like, why doesn't other people see it? And then they gaslit you, made you feel like you were overreacting. And yes. And it was totally normal. Yeah. That? And I'm like, no, no. He is dangerous. Like when I watch years and years and they blow up, he blows up the thing. I'm like, yes, years and years. Yes. It, yes, exactly. And I wish years and years. It ended a little different. It ended too much like a doctor who, but, yeah. but, um, but yes. And it, 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 yes, I feel like the same way in the sense of the panic and the, and the, you know, the, I'll never forget being on the view and, and, and him getting Ohio and my, the pit in my stomach, I knew it was coming but right. you just felt that shift. I don't get it. You know, I had to go through my Canadian citizenship mm -hmm. stuff because I'm a dual mm -hmm. and I've never done the full application. And now I'm doing it because we think about the fact that things are no one thinks about this. Borders are shut. Listen, listen, <laughs> I have thought about it. Like I have thought about it and I do not have a dual. I don't have anywhere to go. And I am mad. I'm mad because I was the first one to say. Yeah. My joke in the campaign was if we lose, I'm moving to New Zealand. I would check the prices frequently, frequently. And that was the joke. Everybody knew, oh, yeah, if we lose, Zerlin is going to New Zealand. Now I can't even go because everybody had this idea. And I waited too long. And I just, like, I'm so mad because nobody was listening to me. I feel like I was like, I bought a boat. People are like, I just really never thought it would be something. I was like, I bought a boat, an inflatable boat. <laughs> I was right. And at some point I knew we were going to have to brace for impact and run for our lives. I just, and then I'm like, you know, I, people are like, you really work out a lot. I'm trying to be in shape because for the moment I have to pick up all my belongings and run. And go. Yes. You know what? I've already, I have the map. I already have it. I bought, when this all happened, I not only bought like 200 uh, water filtration tablets so that if I had to like drink I have river my water, house. I have them in my house. I have a like Leatherman knife I've always had because I just have that. But I also got um, paper maps because I was like, if everything goes down, oh, it is. I have paper maps and an orienteering compass. I used to do orienteering when I was a kid. That's great. Yeah. And but the thing about the moment where I had to escape with my cat during pandemic, you know, I could only pack one duffel bag. And so boat is in the apartment, filtration tablets in the apartment. Like I couldn't oh, escape yeah. with my tools. Because I didn't think it was escaping. I thought I was going to go away for two weeks, come back. Corn, oh, no. you know. I knew when I took the train back was the, the My tour. dad quickly ex Co you know, went, explained to me that it was not going to be two weeks. See, that's like, interesting. You are not going to be here until next year. That you're in the reverse. <laughs> yeah. Because my parents were like, oh, we'll be fine. And I got on that train. I got back. Flossie, I remember Flossie being like, you're insane. Why are you buying all this canned food and this rice? And I went, I am telling you. 
And yep. I said to her then, I go, we will not even be going anywhere until maybe mid-June in terms of yep. walking outside. And she's like, you're crazy. And I went, okay, I'm going to keep buying canned food and rice, and you'll thank me in a month. And sure enough, a month later, we're sitting eating yeah, yeah, yeah. food. And I co- I'm the one who cooks in the house, mm-hmm. right? I've made so many meals. I'm baking bread. I'm making pita, I'm, you know. And I, she goes, That's my sister. you're right. You're right. Thank God. And I, and I was like, can we record that? <laughs> Can I right. record you saying you were right? Because it happens so rarely. Right, 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 right. And and justifiably so. I, I'm also, I'm a madman. Um, okay, well, I'm going to just do an easy, clean. Uh, Zerlina, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Oh, Signal Boost is on when, by the way? 7 o'clock a.m. Eastern weekdays. Channel and 127 on Sirius XM. Channel 127, Sirius XM. That's right, Sirius family. I will take care of that. And yeah. uh, I will... Uh, talk to you soon i appreciate so much you came on and um i hope the book is number one thank you thank you me too i I hope so too of course (laughs) that in the universe and that was my conversation with zerlina maxwell um really great i felt like we could have probably talked for another hour um so uh yeah please once again order her book the End of White Politics, How to Heal Our Liberal D- Divide. Uh, it's available July 7th, but you can pre-order now. And listen to Signal Boost. Uh, who knows? I think I might be going back on there. And um, as always, you can find me on Cameo. You can find me um, on Patreon. Uh, backslash, Patreon.com backslash The Real Tony. Uh, Twitch.tv backslash Shaddy Fatty. And cameo.com backslash the real Tony. Follow me on Twitter at Tony Atamanic. Uh, all that good stuff. And uh, listen, Black Lives Matter, folks. Thank you very much. See you next week. <laughs>